that's a precious message. Uh, I was just thinking, um, Brother and Mrs. Wilkins, they were such a, a blessing and a joy here to this church, and we were, we were really blessed to have, uh, have them here at Valley Bible Baptist for so many years. And I remember uh, just before Miss Penny uh, went to be with the Lord, uh, Brother Wilkins said, uh, Miss Penny, you can look at it like this. Uh, when I bring you to church, I drop you off at the door, and you go on in, and I go and park the car, and then I'll come back after I park the car, and I'll be right there with you. And he said, uh, you can just look at this as I'm dropping you off at the door. You're going on to heaven, and I'm going to be just behind you, not, not too far behind you. I'm going to go park the car. The day's going to come, and it was Christmas Day that uh, Brother Wilkins then, uh, a few years back, went to be with the Lord, and uh, so what a, what a treasure uh, that was, and uh, that unseen hand, you know, thinking about this, you're here this morning, it's not by accident that God brought you here, uh, God's plan and purpose for you, He brought you here this morning, and uh, He's got a plan for you, He wants to speak to you today, uh, guided by that unseen hand. My life verses, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Uh, guided by that unseen hand. It was Moses that spoke of that unseen hand in the book of uh, Hebrews 11, that faith chapter of the Bible, uh, where we see him who is invisible. And isn't that a blessing? That's our, our faith anchored in something that is, is reality, uh, but we don't see it. But the day comes, one day we'll see Jesus face to face. Luke chapter 14, if you have your place and you're able to stand with me this morning, uh, may we stand here today just in honor and reverence of uh, the Word of God uh, here this morning. I want to begin reading. We're going to come back and give you the context, but I want to begin reading at verse number 15 of Luke chapter 14. Uh, preaching through some of the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, in verse 15, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said, or then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. We're going to look here at what is known in the Bible as this parable of the Great Supper. It has a lot of truth that God gives to us through this particular parable. But I'm going to go back into the context of this parable, and I think it'll add just a few details for us, some things that maybe we don't often hear or think about in light of this particular parable. If you'll join me this morning, ask us to go to the Lord in prayer, and let's take some time right now uh, just to yield our hearts and to surrender 
we need to hear from the Lord today, need to hear from heaven. There is a message for you here this morning. And no matter where you are, what your heart is, and let's take the time just to ask the Lord that we might be a hearer of the word, but not only a hearer, but a doer of the word this morning. Father, thank you this morning. So good to be in, in this service here today. And we recognize no accidents with you that every person here guided by an unseen hand. And Lord, I pray here this morning that you would have your way in this service, that you would speak to hearts, that you would glorify your name. Lord, you're going to be knocking at some heart here today. There's somebody here today that you've been speaking to their heart. There's somebody here today that you're offering to them an invitation. And there's somebody here today that needs salvation. There's somebody here today that maybe has been away from you for a while, but you're calling and hearkening to their heart and drawing them back to a full surrender. Lord, it just sure seems that uh, you're coming soon. Help us to be found ready. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated this morning. As we look at this morning, this particular parable, this is, uh, this is one of the great parables that uh, Jesus taught, uh, called it the parable of the great supper. And uh, as we look at this particular parable, I, I believe really this morning it reveals the heart of God as so many of the parables do. I, I like to say the key verse of the Bible is John three sixteen: God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we read in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9 that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. In other words, why has not Jesus returned yet? And uh, he answers that question uh, because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so because of the heart of God, and we see this in this particular parable, the Lord sends his servant to invite guests to the great supper. We'll see this this morning as an invitation to salvation. Now, I believe with all of my heart that God, the Bible is God's invitation book. Uh, the Bible is a book about Jesus. Uh, the Bible is a book about what Jesus did. And the Bible is a book about what Jesus offers and how Jesus can change a life and what salvation will do when it enters into a heart and into a life. Now let's go back and, and get the context of the parable. I think it adds some details. Go back with me to verse number 1. Uh, we find here that Jesus was the guest of a Pharisee. And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. And so here's the guest. He's the guest in this home. One of the chief Pharisees, the Bible makes this distinction. Uh, this means he, he's not just an ordinary Pharisee, but he is a religious leader, uh, most likely knowing the background, he's going to be a wealthy man, he's a man of great honor, a man of great prestige, and so evidently Jesus has been invited to the dinner of this Pharisee along with other guests, but notice at the end of verse number one that they watched him, uh, they're looking to trap the Lord Jesus Christ. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, are very jealous of Jesus. The crowds have been thronging the Lord. They're looking for an opportunity uh, to accuse the Lord, to condemn the Lord, and to ultimately take the Lord to the cross. And we know the story and how that ends. Now, Jesus used this occasion to teach some great lessons of life. I, I was just thinking, what an honor it would have been to have Jesus as a guest in your home. 
But do you realize that you can always have Jesus as a guest in your home? And in fact, we ought to have the Lord at every meal with us, at every part of every day. And I was just thinking as I was going through this parable, how much we could learn from the Lord, the wisdom that we could gain from the Lord if we were willing every single day to have the Lord as an honored guest of our home, uh, what we would learn. Now, Jesus took this occasion uh, to teach some very practical things, some important things. There are four different parables in this particular account, uh, very short, most of them. Uh, in the first parable, he taught about compassion. And I want to pick up here verse number 2. Uh, in verse number 2, uh, really, as we said, it appears to be a setup. They watched him, and behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And this is the Sabbath day. What would Jesus do? Would he heal this man on the Sabbath day? Uh, he did not avoid the situation of the scheme. In verse 3, and Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And then in verse number 4, they held their peace. What could they say? They held their peace. He took him and healed him and let him go. That's my Jesus. There's nothing that he cannot do. And don't you think that a God that could speak the world into being can easily heal this man of the dropsy? And he did so. And then he sent them away or sent him away. Then he told the first of these parables in verse 5. And answered them saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit, will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day. And they could not answer him again to these things. They had more compassion for their donkey or for their ox than for a sick man. And so the Lord is teaching here and revealing their hearts to them. And I'm just thinking as I'm reading through this section of Scripture, may we never allow our schedules or our rituals or even church to keep us from investing in people. And may we always have a heart for people. Uh, may we always have compassion, sympathy uh, for the spiritually sick who need healing. And we know that the healing answer is the Lord Jesus Christ and none other but the Lord. Now that's the first lesson. Uh, secondly, at this mill, he taught about humility. This is crucial. In verse number 7, And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden, when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them. Now Jesus was always observant. The chief seats and the chief rooms would be those that were nearest the owner. Now here he noticed as he observed the situation, uh, the pride of man. And he noticed as these guests came into this home, uh, many of them would seek out the chief place, the, the prominent place. They would put themselves in an exalted position. And so the Lord observing this noticed this, and that's the pride of man. Man always looks for the place of honor. Remember James and John, disciples of the Lord, uh, they requested the Lord, Lord, in your kingdom. Uh, may we have uh, the, the chief seats, the one on the right hand, the one on the left hand, and the guest of honor right there in the middle. We want the chief seats next to that guest of honor. That's the pride of man. So Jesus taught this parable, beginning in verse number 8. He says, when thou art bidden uh, of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest the more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee, and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, 
And thou began with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room. And when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher, and thou shalt have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever, and this is the key statement, whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And the Lord is teaching that our job is not to exalt ourselves, not to honor ourselves, but our job is to walk humbly before the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is he that exalts, it is he that abases. And we'll find a principle throughout the Word of God that humility is a key to success. And let me just uh, take a small tangent at this place. Uh, you can never be saved unless you admit your need of salvation and you come to the lowest seat and you humble yourself. If you're struggling with sin in your life, you're struggling with an addiction, uh, you'll never find victory until you come to the place of humility, until that place of admitting, I cannot do this on my own. I, I need some help with this. I'm willing to have accountability. I'm willing to place myself under. I'm willing to put myself in a low position. And in that position, the Lord then can exalt you and give the victory. So that's a lesson. It's a teaching on humility. Uh, beginning at verse number 12, he taught them about generosity. Now, this is at the same mill. Let's read beginning at verse number 12. Then said he also to them that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And here uh, the previous parable uh, was dealing with the guests. He noticed how the guests came into the room, and, and these guests uh, made their way to the highest seat. He taught about humility. Uh, but now Jesus begins to notice those that are invited to this dinner. And he noticed these were the prestigious group. These, this was the in crowd. Uh, these were the prominent ones. Now, obviously, as the Lord looked at those invited guests, he could understand they would return the favor. And so he says in verse number 12, uh, call not your friends. Now, I, I believe there's nothing wrong with inviting our friends. And, and you'll notice many times you invite your friends, they invite you back, and they return the favor. And we understand, though, when we are rewarded in this life, we have our reward. But Jesus said when you call guests, he said, call the, notice what he calls them. He said, when thou makest a feast, in verse 13, uh, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. You see, we can't minister, uh, or we, when we minister to those that can't repay us, our reward comes from the Lord. Now, here's a quick thought. We can use our homes and our lives to further the gospel. We can use the opportunities to minister to the lost and to those that have a great need. And we can use the home in that place of ministry. I believe this speaks of stepping out of the comfort zone and reaching outside the circle of friends and reaching out to a world that needs the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's important in the context of our next parable this morning. That brings us to the message today. That was all three. So now you can wake up, because we're going to give you the, the meat here this morning. Uh, this final parable, he taught about salvation. Uh, our focus this morning 
It's going to be on this parable. Now I want you to see in verse 15, when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Evidently somebody listening came under conviction from the previous three lessons and just speaks, blessed is he that eats bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus used that statement to teach about salvation. Who will eat bread in the kingdom of God? How do we find our way into the kingdom of God? How can we be a part of that great supper? And I want to break this down into three different parts this morning. First of all, I, I see the preparation for salvation. Uh, read verse 16 again, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. I read about a great supper, and it takes me to Thanksgiving Day. How many of you have a big spread at Thanksgiving. Just picture for a moment. You got the turkey, maybe a smoked turkey, and then maybe a, a turkey that cooked in the oven, and then maybe a turkey that you dipped into the frying pan. You got a turkey, several turkeys, and you've got the pasole. Around here, you got to have the pasole, the green chili. You got all the pasole, the mashed potatoes, the gravy. Mm, boy, I'm getting hungry. Then you've got the dressing and the fruit salad and the green bean casserole. And don't forget the sweet potato casserole. You got that. The homemade rolls, the cranberry sauce. Yeah, I'm getting there, Brother Carr. <laughs> then you go to the desserts. That's where you start, actually, okay? You, you start at the desserts, the blueberry cream pie. The chocolate pecan pie, uh, the butterfinger pie, and then the Cool Whip and all the, all the trimmings that go with it. You, you've got the table spread, and the table is set, and you've got the fancy dishes. You pull out the very best dishes, and, and the best of the silverware, the cloth napkins, the crystal glasses. Boy, picture that. It's all prepared. What a picture of salvation. Because I had not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man the things that God had prepared for them that love Him. Uh, friends, there are things that salvation will give you that you cannot get anywhere else. And what a glorious, glorious feast will be in heaven. And I think about this, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be beyond comprehension to be in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice something here in verse number 17. He sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, but notice this, for all things are now ready. The table is set. It's on the table. The meal has been prepared. And now the guests may be called. And all things are now ready. I learned a long time ago uh, growing up on the farm when grandma had Thanksgiving dinner and when that dinner was set, uh, it didn't matter what we were doing. Usually out in the parking lot we were playing football and, and after playing football when the call went forth, uh, dinner is ready. Uh, we didn't uh, try to get another touchdown. No, that was it. So we dropped everything that we were doing, made our way to the dinner table. We knew that when granny called, it was time to go and eat. All things 
are now ready. Understand something this morning. The price has been paid. From the cross of Calvary, Jesus said, It is finished. The debt for your sin has been paid in full. It's finished. There's no more to add. The table is set. There's nothing to add to it. No more to add to what Jesus has done for you. You see, the preparation is complete. That brings us to this next thought, the invitation to salvation. Again, look at verse 17. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. Now, we'll have here the messenger that invites. He sent his servant at supper time. You notice in verse number 21, So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city. In verse number 23, And the Lord said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be full. Now the servant is given the job of inviting. Now I believe in verse number 17, it's a picture as Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. It's a picture that the gospel went first to the Jewish crowd. He came to his own. And the, the Jews began to make excuse uh, concerning the Lord. And then verses 21, 23, to the Gentile, to every man, to every woman, to every boy, to every girl, from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. He says to that servant, go and compel them to come in. Go and plead with them. And I believe that the Lord wants his house to be full. In verse number 16, he bade many. It's a picture that the gospel was to go to all. And that servant represents the saved represents you and I, if you're saved, the local church. We're given the commission to go. We're given the commission to compel, to invite, to plead. See, we cannot be fulfilled until we are obedient to that commission. Uh, the Bible says, He that winneth souls is wise. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30, we mentioned Brother Wilkins, and he said, If you're wise to win souls, then you would be foolish not to win souls. And so the, the messenger has called to give the invitation. But I want you to notice this message of invitation, verse 17, a simple word. Come. Come. See, the Bible is an invitation book. Isaiah 1, verse 18, Come and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah 51, verse number 1, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye and buy and eat. Yea, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. And in Isaiah 55, verse 3, Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Isaiah 55, verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. And in Jesus said in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He said, Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. That's the invitation. We finish up in the book of Revelation 22 and verse 17. The Spirit 
and the bride say come and let him that heareth say come and let him that is a thirst come and uh, whosoever will let him come and take of the water of life freely that's the invitation come and it reveals to us the price has been paid the table has been set and now the invitation goes forth see that invitation is to the great supper through the Lord Jesus Christ what a glorious message what a message to be able to go and to proclaim salvation is free. It's paid for. Come, repent, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. The door is open. Take a step of faith and come to Jesus Christ. He makes the difference. It's a simple message, but it's an urgent message. He says, all things are now ready. Today the day of salvation. Now is the time. There's no time for delay. I mentioned my granny when she called for that Thanksgiving meal. You did not delay. I knew we were in trouble. It was to the back of the line. When that call goes forth, it's time. You can picture the table, the mill, it's at its prime. Everything is hot. It's ready to eat. There's that window of opportunity, and that window of opportunity is now as we look at the invitation. I want to go verse number 18. We have here the rejection. It seems unreal. Verse number 18, and they all with one consent, begin to make excuse. We have here the rejection of salvation. The excuses were so flimsy. You notice in verse 18, I bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. I, I don't know of anybody that buys a piece of land without observing it first. And then the next one says, I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I go to prove them. I, I don't know of anyone that would buy a yoke of oxen without testing them before he bought them. If you're willing to buy the land without seeing it, I've got a piece I'll sell you, okay? And I've got some oxen that I'll sell you as well. See, no one buys without testing it or proving it ahead of time. And then you'll notice in verse number 20, another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come and I'm thinking, why not take her with you to the invitation? What a way to celebrate. But what a tragedy. A glorious opportunity squandered. You would think hearing about the table being spread and the great supper that is being prepared, you would think that they would have gladly accepted. Isn't it that way with salvation? Oh, what a privilege to be saved, to know the Lord as Lord and Savior, to have a change of heart, to have the Lord that dwells within you, and yet people reject the most wonderful thing in all the world, to reject the opportunity to be saved, to reject that opportunity to have peace. It kind of reminds me of Pharaoh with Moses, and the whole land was overrun with frogs. And Pharaoh calls Moses and said, Moses, would you pray? for the frogs, that they would disappear. And, and Moses said, yes, when do you want me to pray? And he said, tomorrow. And I'm thinking, tomorrow? 
uh, you can get rid of the frogs right now, tomorrow. And, and that's so often the case. To have peace with God and uh, the opportunity of salvation to uh, serve the Lord Jesus Christ, to have the peace of heaven as a home. And yet they begin to make excuse. Why? I, I don't believe they understood the deep need. If men understood their lostness, the reality of hell and of eternity, I don't think they would make excuse. They don't understand what they're missing. What a gift. Heaven is good. And as we mentioned earlier, eye had not seen nor ear heard the things that God had prepared for them that love him. It is evident here that to reject that gift of salvation, there's no fear of God. And I think this is the greatest sin in America today is a lack of fear of the holiness of God today. There's no fear of God. And, and then to presume, I, I think it's very evident as these made excuse, it's almost a presumption. Uh, I won't come now, but if you'll invite me again, I'll look at that opportunity and it's to presume to have another opportunity and that's a very dangerous presumption. See, the excuses were flimsy and the consequences were severe. I want you to notice in verse number 21, this statement, so that servant came and showed his Lord these things, then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant. Friends, understand something this morning. Yes, God is a God of love. Uh, the love of God is deeper far than I can ever explain. Uh, the love of God reaches to the highest star and down to the lowest hell. And yes, God is a God of love, but you need to understand something this morning. God is holy. And he's a God of wrath. Without Jesus Christ, we're condemned already because we have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the, uh, not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You see, without Jesus Christ, all of us are sinners. Without Jesus Christ, all of us are lost. And without Jesus Christ, all of us are condemned. And without Jesus Christ, all of us deserve hell. But the Lord Jesus paid the debt. He paid the debt in full. And he offers that wonderful gift of eternal life. He offers that wonderful gift of heaven. The table is spread and the supper is now ready. I want you to notice something in verse number 24. I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. The door of opportunity closed. Thoroughly convinced that hell will be full of people that intended to get saved. Uh, intended to uh, have another opportunity to receive the Lord. Uh, death comes, and that closes the door, and the heart can grow cold and hard, and that closes the door. I remember years ago, a woman that witnessed to, and, and she was so open, it seemed, to the gospel, and under conviction, but her statement was not now, not ready at this point. And uh, every time after that, the heart was just a little bit colder and a little bit harder. Friends, I believe this, Jesus is coming back. No man knows the day nor the hour. It's a tragedy to play with your soul. And here the Lord comes and an opportunity closes. God never promises a second opportunity. Now, 
I think probably many of you were saved after the Lord was so gracious to you and pled with you, and I'm grateful. I ran from the Lord for so long, and I'm grateful that God gave me another opportunity. I'm so thankful for that. You see, when the Lord gives that opportunity, he says today is the day of salvation. As we look at this parable so very clear, salvation has been purchased. The table is spread. The invitation is offered. Come. And he says, come now. And what a glorious gift. What a wonderful privilege to know Jesus Christ as Savior. But that gift must be received. You see, the invitation was given, come. But that gift had to be received. There had to be a willingness to go to the table and to feast. See, it's a, a priority more than anything else in this life. Your soul is more important than any ox or any land or any relationship. What is man profited if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? And this wonderful gift of salvation is timely now is the day. But as we saw, it will take humility to come and receive this gift. See, the first group didn't understand their deep need. And so in verse number 18, they will, with one consent, begin to make excuse. But I want you to notice in verse 21, so that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. I want you to see this. Bring hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Friend, that's our spiritual condition without the Lord Jesus Christ. And only as we come to that place of humility where we admit without Christ I'm poor and without Christ I'm maimed and I'm halt and I'm blind and I need the Lord. And that's the humility that it takes to receive that gift. In verse 23, the Lord said unto that servant, go into the highways, hedges, and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. You see, without Christ, we are like that sheep that has wandered astray into the highway and into the hedges. We're lost without the Lord Jesus Christ. And it takes humility. I want to close with one thought. Look at verse 22. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. But notice this statement, yet there is room. Can I say to you this morning, there's room for you at the foot of the cross. There's room for you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. The call has gone forth, and yet there is room. What a horrible thought to miss your opportunity. I'd like for a moment, every head bowed and every eye closed this morning.